Welcome. My name is Clarence Hill, and we want to welcome you to the very first episode of the Dream Together podcast. In this podcast, I get to sit with three of my close friends to dream about how we can tear down walls of division, promote compassion, and build a new tomorrow. For our children and yours included, we will talk about problems and pain points in our society, but we're going to focus on how to bring hope, healing, and a new tomorrow. And we invite you as our listeners to dream together with us. In this first episode, we want to share a little bit about ourselves and the lessons we've learned over the years about how to bring healing to places of division in our communities. We're also going to introduce the famous letter from a Birmingham jail by one of our heroes, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in these next couple of episodes. We'll take a deep dive into that letter to consider what it can still teach us today. But in this episode, we're going to set the table for that discussion by considering the historical context and the stories that can help us feel the power of that letter. So we're excited for you to join us in Dreaming Together. This is awesome. I want to welcome everyone, all of our friends from Oklahoma, all across the country, and I, I believe we even have some international friends who are familiar with a lot of the things that we have been doing here in Oklahoma. So I want to talk about the we just a little bit. I'm here with my friends, John Mark, Scotia, and Lee, and they're going to introduce themselves in just a second. But we're just so excited to welcome you to the launching of the Dream Together podcast. We're going to be talking about things that are so relevant to right now. Our aim is to see a healing where there are divides. We want to talk about practical solutions that bring change. And a lot of the conversations that we've been having behind closed doors, in our conferences, in the things that we do, I think, y'all, we work nonstop. If you talk to our families, our kids, we've been working for years. And I just started listening to the conversation we were having, and I'm like, man, if we could just push record, there's so many people that want to hear this conversation. So welcome to this conversation. We're so glad to have you be a part. So let's do some introductions. I want you to know some of these uh, world changers that I'm sitting next to. So John Mark. Well, I think you got to go first. The one and only Dr. Clarence Hill, <laughs> founder of the Stronger Together okay. Movement. You got to tell us who you are, brother. Okay. So just, just a little <laughs> bit about me. Um, my aim is all around seeing uh, city transformation, unity. We want to, I want to see divides healed. Not only just, you know, ethnic division where I just think there's just too much confusion uh, in this area, but I also want to see the uh, regular everyday person figure out how to see uh, relationships built in their business, uh, in their home, just to be healed, just to see a new tomorrow. So the phrase is a rest, restoration, healing, and a new tomorrow is what we're reaching for. I wrote a book called The Dream Clock. And like this year already, we've been in probably seven cities because there's just a hunger out there to say, how do we heal divides? Yeah, yeah. And The Dream Clock talks about healing the divides between us and them. That's good. I am married. We'll be hitting 25 years. All right. I can't get no help up in here. <laughs> yeah. 25 years on the 4th of July. I have four amazing children, and I come from a, an amazing family. I'm also a pastor of Antioch Community Church in Norman, and we have a beautiful multi-ethnic church family, and that was just a gift from God. It was always my desire to see us walk together as one. So that's just a little bit about me. We could spend uh, all that, day talking about who you that, are, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I want to introduce my friends because that's one of my favorite things in life, of course, is to just see the treasures that are in other people bloom. That's so, true. That's true. John Mark. Okay. Dr. John Mark Hart. <laughs> now, this, this is a fun one because you shock me with the fact that you... I don't see any notes in your hand, and you're supposed to be explaining the letter from a Birmingham jail in a few <laughs> seconds, and I don't see any notes, but that's who you are. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm John Mark Hart, and uh, these are three of my good friends, and it's a joy to sit here and talk uh, with these friends and dream together. But I live in Oklahoma City, South OKC, with my wife and six children. My life is filled with joy 
and many other things. You need to pray for me, but I've got six <laughs> wonderful kids. And uh, I'm a pastor at Redemption Church, which is a multi-ethnic bilingual church in a kind of an inner city community and have been serving there for many years. And um, as far as these conversations about ethnic reconciliation and facing the challenges of our day and seeking a brighter tomorrow, my journey into that has really been as a dad and as a pastor living and serving in a diverse community with a lot of beautiful people and a lot of pain points. And uh, I'm just I'm just out here trying to follow Jesus. I'm just a pastor. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And in order to love our neighbors, first, we have to know our neighbors well enough to know where do our what are our joys and what where where are we hurting and then to steward those joys and pains together. And so that that part of my life has just left me on a long journey. So our church does all sorts of community development work, trying to care for those who are hurting and and bring justice to our community in a variety of ways. And I found a few things if for that to succeed. One, uh, you need good friends. And that's, that's right. I've got yeah. to meet all of these. These people have been my friends many times when I've been encouraged. Uh, I might I might get a little misty if I just start thinking about some of the <laughs> holes I've been in. And Lee Rowland came in and encouraged me and picked me up at different times in my life. So these friends have helped me along the way. And I've also needed a mentor. So part, half of me is uh, academic. And um, I ended up writing a doctoral dissertation, which was trying to learn from peacemakers in the 20th century, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Dr. John Perkins and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Desmond Tutu and Dorothy Day, people like that. How did they in their time bring healing to places of division in our communities? Mm -hmm. And how can we learn from them and apply it today? So always thinking about praxis. How can we give better cities, better church, better world to our kids? That's awesome. I, I would want to invite even the audience that if you think, hey, two pastors, what in the world are we, is this about to be a Bible study? <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I love about what Jesus taught is that so many people have been able to take those principles. So you may just be a person of goodwill and you're looking for who wants to see our cities look better. Uh, that's what we're all about. And we want to um, just celebrate the fact mm -hmm. that here in Oklahoma and in a lot of places where I've gone even recently, there is such an openness to the faith community and our cities working together to come uh, to a point where we're uh, bridging the political divide. That's right. You know, if, if there's one thing that's making it hard is this is the extreme left, extreme right, where we just can't find middle ground. And that's what this podcast is about. Mm -hmm. Let's build out some language for the middle ground. Mm -hmm. and at least be able to learn, mm -hmm. listen a little bit better than we are. But I also want to just extend a strong invitation that if you're just saying, hey, for now, I just want to figure out, is anybody is anybody caring about our kids? Is mm -hmm. anybody, mm -hmm. uh, can I just go outside and say good morning to my neighbor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not worry about what banner they have in front of them or am I going to say something to offend? Y'all, that's what we're going to be getting into. Um and, and so that's why we have a mom here. And that's why we have someone who's going to keep us grounded in our conversation here and help drive us. But Scotia, we have been friends for many years. Our children have our friends, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. couple to couple. We've been friends for a long time. And it's just been fun um, seeing you, Stuart, 10 children. Yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I would let you introduce yourself, but when she says 10 children, the next statement is all natural born. <laughs> yeah. 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 All born for me. That's I don't right. know, varying levels of natural. But you know. <laughs> when I said that, I'm like, I don't think I used the right term. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself before I stumble again. Yes, I'm Scotia Moore. Um, I am a mother of 10. My children are in their 20s. And then I have a little one that are that's uh, nine and, and everything in between. So um, I enter into this work of city transformation and loving my neighbor and being um, kind of an agent of agent of repair in my city as a mother, primarily, um, mm -hmm. because I want to leave 
this city, this state, this nation, this world better than I found it mm-hmm. for my children mm-hmm. yep. and my neighbor mm-hmm. and my children's friends um, and my friends. So I'm Absolutely. super excited to be Absolutely. here today with you all. Um, I'm also uh, a social entrepreneur, meaning I have a business that is geared around how do we um weave and how do we mend the things that are torn Mm -hmm. in our relationships and so how can companies relate better to their communities how do people relate better with one another so Mm -hmm. i'm a weaver and a mender but um but my deep motivation is to uh, i like to say weave a blanket that will keep the next generation warm so i'm super Excited to be here with my friends. And Absolutely. I agree. I, when I think about, you know, the crisis moments and the challenges of which there are many when you parent 10 children. <laughs> um, and I'm also, uh, I'm a wife and this is our 25th year too. So right. um, we all got married in the same year, so, yep. or at least the four of us did. So um, I've been married 25 years to the love of my life, Stefan. And we've worked with children our entire adult lives. Mm-hmm. Before we had our own children, we were working with children. So that's a great passion of mine. Okay, if you don't know about Shiloh Camp, uh, this is a inner city. This is a camp in the inner city, a little mm-hmm. oasis yeah. right in the middle yeah. of the inner city. Yeah. 40 beautiful acres. It's now known as Shiloh Adventures or right. just Shiloh. And, uh, and we have outdoor adventures where we use the outdoors and athletics and the arts as a platform to share God's love with kids and um, and also a place where businesses can come and have a bonding adventure together. Yeah. Would know, you mention teams. the location again? It's in the city. It I is in the city. It's in Northeast that. Oklahoma City. In the city for Right kids. off the highway. I love it. <laughs> but on 40 acres so you don't feel like you're in the city. Well, a lot, a lot of kids don't have the privilege and the opportunity to escape like five to six blocks mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they grow mm-hmm. up. From where they right. live. Yeah. yeah. And and just to be able to camp and to yell out loud and yes. to run and to um, play. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And see something different and be in a Fish different kind of canoe and get on a zip line and right. scream their heads off. It's fun. Right. It's and then to see older, older young young people who are actually serving these children because mm-hmm. you guys don't do all, do all the work yourself. Right. And so since we're talking about young people and yes. kids, we great transition yes. to our friend who has actually who has actually been inducted into the African American Oklahoma mm-hmm. Hall of Fame mm-hmm. for educators. Mm-hmm. And I met Lee uh, well over a decade ago, maybe 15 now, mm-hmm. Lee. Mm-hmm. And I have to say this, you wouldn't talk to me <laughs> because he's cool. He's, he's cool. It, it, it might have been too uncool at that moment for him to look up. But he, he was he was he was using his Saturdays. He was a man on a mission. And it wasn't one of those deals where it's like, oh, this guy's too good to talk to me. You could see this guy was on a mission. Mm-hmm. And I could tell he didn't like to play. He didn't like fluff. <laughs> and he very direct, but man, one of the most amazing and fun presentations around race you would ever hear. And he was tearing down walls um, 20 years ago, helping different ethnic groups learn how to educate better by learning more about one another. So Lee, would you introduce yourself and all of our friends, our senior in this group, tell them who you are, please. Yeah, well, thank you for that senior part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like I am uh, I was born in a manger when I look at you guys. And all that stuff, but, you know, it's all good. It's all good in my life. Uh Yeah, uh, since you all put us on the spot, uh, I've been married 43 years to my bride. Uh, all right, all uh, right. Wanda Lee Rowland. I have two amazing kids and uh, two amazing grandkids and stuff. So uh, you guys wait. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, it's just stressful for me. Uh, 
audience to uh, introduce myself because uh, I do so many things. And uh, but I would probably say what defines me most uh, is really my uh, as an educator and a um, uh, I'm a speaker. I'm a presenter. I'm an author. uh, I'm an adjunct professor. And when I introduce myself, uh, I've got a number of things, a dreamer being one. Uh, but the last is that I'm an unmasked crusader. So I'm not like Superman and Batman. They cover up themselves and all this kind of stuff. You see this all the time. And uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for me not to show my passion while in my seat. Uh, but I'm super passionate about uh, us loving one another. And I have many, many uh, examples of how I've tried to do that and how uh, I believe we're it's incumbent upon all of us to do this. And especially as educators, as we look to take care of our children, we've got to love them, love their families. And when we do so, uh, people look to me when I present and they say, well, OK, what's the answer? What's the solution? And this is four letter word called love. And and it's it just uh covers a multitude of things. And so uh, uh, I'm going to talk to this audience in an ongoing basis about uh, love, past, present, and future. And I am super, super, super elated to be here among great friends that demonstrate that, personify that uh, in their walk every day. And isn't that funny that that's who my friends are and I want them to be your friends. We want to be your friend as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cl- Clarence, when you told about the first time you met Lee, I had a memory. I think this was the first time I saw you. I'm not sure, but a nonprofit in Oklahoma City that uh, does was doing fantastic work helping kids, invited some pastors to come help with their fundraiser event. And each pastor got invited to help at their level of gifting. So they asked me to help give people coffee at their tables. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they called the speaker up, which is Lee Rowland. He had like five minutes. Everyone laughed. Everyone cried. Everyone rethought their lives and committed themselves to caring for children. And uh, I don't remember if we met that night or later, but I remember thinking, Lord, I need to learn how to preach. Lee and I went to Boston one time together. And this is a group of... Um, people who work in the public health area. Hmm. And Lee warned them when he started. He said, <laughs> I am an educator, but I'm also a Southern, uh, uh, I'm also a Baptist preacher. <laughs> a black Baptist a preacher. A black, that's what it was. It was a, <laughs> I'm a black Baptist preacher. Now, he gave them knowledge, information, and education, but he has this gift of reminding you of why mm-hmm. you stepped mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They stood up. Mm. And we were talking about this, you know, when you teach and you look for a couple of amens every now and then. <laughs> These were public health people crying, standing mm. and clapping mm. because someone touched the heart of the message. I just want to bring out that um, one of the things that we look for are those who have solutions. Mm-hmm. And Lee turned a school around that had uh, 99 to 100 percent, maybe free and reduced lunch, lunches. And the suspension rates were through the roof. They were, they were off the charts. Lee comes in, he teaches this group of mostly female and they were white teachers who were coming in with a heart to see uh, kids be transformed. And most of the kids that were getting in trouble were black boys out of poverty. So you had two different classes, two different ethnic groups and two different genders. And Lee was able to bring healing in those divides. And so another group came into Oklahoma and we took them on a tour through Two Lakes. When we finished, half of the group was in tears Hmm. because you could take a, a group of adults through a classroom and the kids wouldn't even start goofing off they would stay locked in on their teacher because they were so well-trained. The parent, the, the teachers believed in them. The kids had their cell phone numbers. Y'all, I'm saying all this to say, uh, we're not going to be talking just about uh, a bunch of neat ideas. Uh, we've been doing some of these things for well over a decade. Uh, there are a bunch mm-hmm. of people in our city, in your cities, who have committed themselves to making change, and they carry the secrets as to how we can actually make a difference mm-hmm. together. And we want those things to be brought out 
for all of our sakes. So, Coach, you were mentioning a little bit about who you think our audience is going to be. <laughs> and just we just want to make a warm invite to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to acknowledge that we have some experiences in life and we'll share some of our thoughts and ideas. Um, but this is really a journey. It's a journey among friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all seeking solutions and we find them better when we do this together. Right. And so for those who are listening, for those who are watching, we are grateful to take this journey with you. Absolutely. We welcome you mm-hmm. into this. Um, you are a part of our learning process and um, hopefully we can be a part of yours. Um, but we're, we want to acknowledge the extension of this group of four friends mm. out to all of you who come take time friends. to listen. Yeah. Come be our friends. Yeah, come right. learn with us. That's right. Um, come discover. And, uh, and I think all of us will experience transformation in this process. And I'll be very bold to say to all of our friends, help us share this podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are being very intentional about where we're headed in this conversation the lack of a middle ground is just way more dangerous than we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people of goodwill. There are allies on both sides because we create, we've, we've had conferences repeatedly where we don't aggravate political language so that everybody can sit at tables and solve problems together. Right. But when those tables aren't there, you have two people that actually agree on some solutions, but they never meet because of political rhetoric, and we want to make room because a lot of times the people that suffer the most are the people who are voiceless, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who need an advocate. And that's why this middle ground matters. Neighbors matter. Uh, the ability to communicate uh, without division matters. So we're starting this conversation to talk about one of the greatest communicators in history, um, in modern times, and that's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., He wrote a letter from prison called A Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And so I was invited to be a part of a conversation at the University of Oklahoma. And of course, I come in and I'm the black pastor. And there's a white pastor there also talking about Dr. King. And it was so funny. They looked at me like, so um, Pastor Hill, and they say Reverend. I'm like, stop calling me Reverend. (laughs) But um, they're like, Pastor Hill could tell us about the letter from a Birmingham jail. And I'm like, there is no way in the world you will get me to open my mouth about that letter or the history of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. if Dr. John Mark is anywhere in the room. (laughs) My friend John Mark here uh, did his dissertation around this. And so I want you to enjoy what we get to benefit from all of the time. John Mark, take us into the context of the letter from a Birmingham jail. Just help us to appreciate this reformer who I feel like brought more to the country and to the world than we've actually received from yet. There's more that we can learn from him. And that's what we want to talk about today. Mm. Gladly. Thanks for that. Awesome. (laughs) So the letter from Birmingham jail was written April 16th, 1963. We're recording this right now in preparation for the 60th anniversary of that letter. And it was written from solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. Dr. King had been in solitary confinement for four days when he wrote the letter. And um, he was arrested for an act of nonviolent civil disobedience, which he committed on Good Friday. And he did that on purpose for two reasons. One, he knew it would get national attention and make headlines. But two, one of his convictions, his moral convictions, is that there's always redeeming power in innocent suffering voluntarily embraced for the sake of correcting injustice. And that day was holding that symbolism for him. And uh, he did that um, in order to draw attention to tremendous human suffering that was happening in, happening in Birmingham, Alabama. And um, he was being criticized. Uh, several white clergy, both Christian and Jewish, wrote a statement in the newspaper criticizing Dr. King. and. He would later say that while he was in solitary confinement, you know, that's a form of psychological torture and it was working. He fell into what he described as one of the deepest depressions of Mm -hmm. his life. Mm -hmm. But then somebody gave him that newspaper and it lit a fire in him. And he started scribbling notes and he wrote what, in my opinion, is the rhetorical masterpiece of American history. Mm -hmm. Like second place, you can 
there's a lot of contenders. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, George Washington's farewell speech. We could talk about various speeches by Sojourner Truth. Or we, we could put various people in there, but I really feel like the rhetorical masterpiece of American history is the letter from Birmingham jail. And in this text, I mean, it's a brilliant piece of moral philosophy, moral theology that's deeply relevant for us today. Um, he's quoting the Bible and Plato and and drawing on Thomas Aquinas and Henry David Thoreau and all these different people. And he's writing it from solitary confinement with no books. I mean, just brilliant uh, mm-hmm. piece of work. But I think to really understand it, we've got to back up and put this within a, the larger context of his life. So here, here's a man who grew up a son of one of the most prominent black pastors in America, in Atlanta. And he would later say, though I was a black man growing up in a racist world, he didn't really feel that till much later because he was a part of a very prosperous, successful, respected community. But he he was brilliant from a young age, graduated high school at 15, I think it was, went to Morehouse, graduated valedictorian of his seminary, got a PhD, when by the time he was 25. And he had many job offers to take comfortable jobs as pastors of large churches or professors in the North, but he and his young bride, Coretta Scott King, felt a sense of calling to go live in solidarity with black people that were suffering in the American South. So they accepted this job to come be pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, um, knowing that they were walking into a situation where they were going to face opposition and suffering, but walking into it willingly, but they could not have anticipated what would happen when Miss Rosa Parks refused to stand up from her bus on that kind of fateful day that became a powder keg moment for an explosion of change and and justice and transformation in America. And um, as the story goes, after that moment, you know, he was pastor of a church that had many professionals, um, you know, black people who were uh, professors and lawyers and doctors who had decades of leadership as civil rights leaders. He's a 25-year-old, eloquent, young preacher. Wow. Rosa Parks gets arrested. Everybody starts organizing without his consent. Some of the ladies from the church come and say, hey, can we hold a rally at the church today to get some people together to support Miss Parks? And he says, let me pray about it. That's what pastors say sometimes. (laughs) We don't want to do something. (laughs) And so a little while later, he sees the flyers. It's going to be at the church. And our new reverend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is going to be the spokesperson for the movement. (laughs) So he shows up and and he speaks. And in that moment, all of his brilliance and his his spiritual heritage and his doctoral work just flows out of him. It's a transcendent moment. And something new happens that sparks the Montgomery bus boycott. Years, well, about a year of suffering in solidarity, this community, at first the black community, eventually some white people joining that, pressured Montgomery to change in a way that led to desegregation and healing that had never been experienced in that community. And all of a sudden, this young man was catapulted into a national spotlight. He and Ralph Abernathy formed the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Committee, what's that last C, S-E-L-C. And... um, and so now they're getting requests to go help with local activists that are that are doing work in the hardest places in America. And maybe the hardest place was Birmingham, Alabama. So they're calling him there. Birmingham had the nickname Bombingham because there had been so much violence. I mean, there was really an unchecked um terrorist reign of white supremacist Mm -hmm. terrorism that was happening. Men, women, and children were getting killed. Nobody was getting prosecuted because the local government and the clergy were so deeply a part of Mm -hmm. the white supremacist power structure in this place. So kids are dying. And they call and ask Dr. King for help. And he comes and help. And uh, they they face um, terrible violence. This is where some of those worst videos from the civil rights movement come of little kids getting hoses sprayed on them that were powerful enough to take bricks off of the side of buildings and uh, dogs being unleashed on people. And this begins to capture national attention. And so Dr. King says, if you don't want to negotiate, I'm going to break the law on purpose on Good Friday. And that's how we get the letter from a Birmingham jail. That was probably longer than I was supposed to talk. No, no, no. You know, I think it's so needed to step into there, Mm. the space where we can actually kind of feel the context and as an educator, Lee, 
help us to understand why that was important to take the time to go there. Yeah, I just want us to um, back up as an educator and myself going into classrooms and watching teachers and asking teachers to teach with excellence and and really capture your students' minds and hearts. Uh, I think it's really important for us to capitalize or take a moment and pause and think about the plotting setting. And I think it's very difficult to do that on this side of this issue. Mm -hmm. So we're in 2023. Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, to say 2023 is like, whoa, man, it's a million light years away. Now, let's try to go back to uh, to the 60s and whatnot. And, and I want us to, uh, I wish I'd gotten with our videographer. Maybe we could have planted this in. I'd like for us to envision uh, this young man mm-hmm. in a cell mm-hmm. on that side yes. of this issue, of this problem, not knowing that some things would change. He didn't know that. He didn't know he would really emerge from that jail. And if I could, and when I taught Sunday school and taught kids and things like that, one of the things I would do, uh, speaking about Easter and things like that, I would get our Sunday school class, turn out the lights and kind of beat on the wall and everything, working with adults. Hey, we're in this uh, uh, climate control room with sunlight coming through the window. But I want you to try to use your sanctified imagination. The black preacher would say, I'd like for you to use your imagination and imagine what it was like yes. for him. And so I'd love for our audience to try to go there as we talk about this. He's in a s- solitary confinement on that side of the problem, not knowing that one of these days he would be celebrated nationally, mm-hmm. internationally. Mm-hmm. There'd be books written about him. His 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 uh his uh uh message would be uh famous and infamous yeah. if you yeah. would. So I just like for our audience to try to use as we try to do children right. every day, go to the plot, go to the setting at that time. It's dark and as you use the word that a lot of us now are familiar with, depression. Mm-hmm. He was a young black man mm-hmm. on that side of the problem and I want us now to think about that dream that ultimately he had, and we'll talk about right, uh, right. this thing, the four of us. And as we're imagining it, I would just add this to imagining the place of pain that this came from wow. for this human being. Not, not only yes. had his yes. house been bombed yes. and his family been harassed, and not only did he feel the tremendous pain of people in seg- segregated Birmingham as well yeah. and yeah. the violence that they had faced, but part of it is the sense of betrayal and frustration that you, that you hear coming out in this letter. He starts with love. He starts with building common ground. But the people he's responding to were not the George Wallace Bull Connor exactly. vicious segregationists. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They were clergy who say, we agree with you that racism is wrong. White supremacy is wrong. Violence is wrong. Uh, but the way that you're pursuing change is unwise. Yeah. yeah. You're impatient. Yep. And uh, we we want a slower approach. And he's thinking about his little kids growing up and yep. this dehumanizing reality. And so that that's the place from which the letter starts of my friends that say they agree with me who aren't willing to really enter into the pain. Powerful. Mm-hmm. So so I'm I'm gonna kinda weave some dream clock language in here. Sure. Um just to uh take yesterday translated into today, one of the things that I would invite our audience to be thinking through is, so that was the 60s. Mm-hmm. So what do we do now? Mm-hmm. As a dad, you know, Black History Month comes around. I want my children to understand the price that was paid yes. for the freedoms that we enjoy. Yeah. So one, as a dad, I want them to uh, really be tied into mm-hmm. the fact that you have a stewardship mm-hmm. of the freedoms and the privileges that you have today. When I walk into a movie theater, very often, half the time, my mind still thinks through, my father had to go through the back door. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I let that scene play <clears throat> through in my own mm-hmm. heart so that I don't waste my life so that I don't walk into this space without a value for those who sacrificed before I came. Mm-hmm. So I, I would love for you, know, Scotia, just jump in here on this one. Just, you know, we're parenting kids. And yeah. I remember Alicia and I wanting to 
share this. Alicia's my wife. <laughs> we have to explain this because her husband's tall. I don't too. ever take <laughs> good. <laughs> Go, good. No, you say <laughs> her husband's tall too. He wears glasses <laughs> and his hair short. Uh-huh. And when he came one time, the last time he came. He was standing in the hall and everybody was telling him great message because they thought he oh, was no. me. <laughs> what was I talking about? So when we take pictures, I'm like, are right, you stand on that side, Clarence? That's I'm right. On that side. <laughs> so, we, so we don't confuse no confusion. people anymore. <laughs> Her husband, Stefan, mine is Alicia. All right. But but in, in parenting, um, this is just for any parent, even outside the conversation of race and ethnicity. We want them to grow up contributing to a greater tomorrow Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. is present, like Scotia said. And I appreciate hearing these stories, but I remember February is coming up. It's Black History Month. So let's watch Eyes on the Prize. Let's Mm -hmm. watch, you know, it used to be Roots, but I can't watch Roots anymore (laughs) because I just don't like those scenes. Mm -hmm. But for my children, it's like, 20 times worse. They don't want to see that level of pain. So we have to come up with creative ways for them to value the fact that, hey, regardless of how you judge yesterday, Dr. King was in solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. Feel this moment. Picture this moment. Picture the fact that your home, if you lived in Birmingham, which what they call Birmingham, Mm It could be bombed. So there was a level of fear that you lived in. Scotia, did you guys do anything to try to connect yesterday's pain to focus your children? And because your your kids are leader minded. Yeah. What did you all do? Yeah, we um, I want to honor, you know, in stepping back a little bit, just honor like my parents' generation, but specifically my Uncle Ivory, my mother's brother who has uh, passed on. But he would sit me down and he he had marched with Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and he had been a part of civil rights. And here I am, you know, a middle school student or uh, elementary school or even high school student. And he's telling me, you have a responsibility mm-hmm. to carry on the work that I and my peers sacrifice to Mm. make opportunities for you to enjoy. And so I'm sitting there like feeling lectured, you know, not appreciating Mm. it in real time. But even though I was not appreciating in real time, he was still leaving an imprint on me Mm. that would last longer than his life. You know, Mm. it it has carried on. And so with my own children, um, making sure that I I do the same thing. I, I, I tell them, who they represent, you know, and how they represent matters. Um, But then also, um, you know, those challenges are not gone. You know, all of those challenges and our ethnic differences are not gone. My children have been called the N-word. They have um, been stopped in gas stations and patted down for no reason. Um, And so some of those same challenges persist today. Um, not to the same uh, degree in terms of uh, they're they're legally sanctioned, but um, hearts are still needing transformation. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do a couple of things that are important. One is education and one is celebration. Like we actually have to know this history and we have to know the challenges and and how they relate to today. But I also instill a lot of sense of celebration. Like when my children were little <laughs> and we were living in a, a city where, you know, we might've been the only black family attending that church or whatever, um, you know, we'd sing stuff. We'd like, we're African-American. <laughs> you know, we were like, we would celebrate who we were. We invited all of our neighbors and our friends from church to come and have the annual soul food extravaganza at the Morehouse. And and everybody, it was potluck, so everyone was supposed to bring soul food, and we're the only Black folks there. (laughs) Um, And we would sing Lift Every Voice and Sing as a community. And it was not um, an affront. It was like, join into the celebration of this broader picture of, um, of who we are 
um, as Americans and our diverse backgrounds and ethnicities. But um, but in this moment, we're going to celebrate this together. Absolutely. And um, there was just a lot of open heartedness. So props to B-Town, which is Branson, Missouri, <laughs> where six B-town. of my children were born. Really? <laughs> and, uh, and where my neighbors and church family were, um, you know, willing to step into that. But I think celebrating things like Black History Month and the accomplishments of, um, you know, those who've gone before us, um, who've made it possible for us to sit in this room together and have this conversation together uh, publicly. It's exciting. Well, uh, and that's where education matters and how we do it really matters. And it's it's funny, you know, listening to a lot of the arguments around um, how we educate our children, uh, specifically things like critical race theory, and seeing that, okay, here's here's an issue where you have two political parties that are on two of the extreme ends. And to me, it's like, it seems like the solution is so simple. How about we not accuse as we go in there, but how about we do learn history? And uh, one of the years we did an interview where we said, what are the three to five things that you would want your children to know about American history? And we asked, and American who was from Asian background, an American who was African. And we went through about five different ethnic groups. And we said, just tell us the five to six things. And it's just very simple. Every ethnos or individual, when you tell a story, you want people to appreciate your challenges, your contributions, your sacrifices. Mm -hmm. That's just who we are. Exactly. And if we're going to paint a beautiful picture of America and have a great place to start, then let's make room for people to value challenges, contributions, sacrifices. Because what you discover is that even in the civil rights movement, there were other ethnos or ethnic groups that were a big part and even died as martyrs during those times. And I think we should be able to be mature enough and free enough Mm -hmm. to talk about these things without saying, Oh, all blacks are evil. Anybody who mentions something about Black History Month, you're evil. You're starting trouble. Or anybody who's white, you're inherently evil. Mm. I'm like, to me, 70% of America probably thinks that's the most nonsense way to start a conversation in the first place. But I'm just having a trouble finding a platform for that group mm-hmm. to talk with some good sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Lee, as an educator... Um, what, what did you do? Cause now you have, um, you were stewarding a school that was, what was the percentage of black students? About 70%. That's, that, that would have been my guess. Did you just teach them about black history or did you teach both? What, what did you do? Because when we engaged some of those students, there was something healthy about the way that you handled the topic. Yeah, we taught American history at Two Lakes. And so our history is our history. And it's nothing to be shameful of. It's nothing to be necessarily proud of in some ways. It is just the facts. And so as we taught that history, uh, I share in my book, uh, The Fantastic Voice, that for our children of color, it really gave them some validation uh, to say, wow, somebody who's come before me has labored uh, for me to have the opportunities that I have. Black people, white people, Native American, number of people have come for me. uh, And so therefore, I would just insist on my students, say, pull up your britches. Say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And, 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 and as we were talking earlier here, hey, hold your head up mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Uh, for my children of non-color, they were able to look and see, oh, wow, uh, I didn't know this about your past. And now that I know this, I have a greater appreciation for who you are. Uh, there was no shame and there was no guilt. Uh, it, was, it really just put us in uh, more proximate, uh, proximate to one another. And there was a love. Uh, you should have seen our events. There would be people uh, clapping and celebrating that didn't look like that group. Mm-hmm. And it was just heartwarming and makes me kind of emotional now just thinking about mm-hmm. the events that we held. And no, we celebrated 
uh, uh, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, mm. We celebrated a, kind of an international day. And so we wanted, um, oh, and, and let me tell you about that. Uh, an ironic thing happened that as we celebrated all the cultures, you should have seen people that we didn't really know that were that representative in our community, yeah. you should have seen them show up for those events yes. and wear their colors and wear their stuff. And so mm-hmm. everybody, and I, 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 I realized this uh, as a, just naturally, I didn't have to read it. I just realized, you know, everybody wants to be seen yeah. That's right. and That's people want to feel soon. valued. Yep. And as we did that as a school, it just transformed our school. It transcended our school when our students started to feel like, my teacher is kind of cool. <laughs> my teacher, yeah. uh, uh, I share, I think it in my book, a, a little girl, I was in her classroom observing her teacher and uh, I'm here to do do work. I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm focused. And a little girl, a uh, little dark girl uh, who had an uh, Anglo teacher, she turned around to me and said, Mr. Ron, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching your teacher teach. Go ahead and learn. Go ahead and learn. And she said, but what are you watching my teacher teach for? I said, I'm just trying to see how, how good of a job. She says, Mr. Roland, I love my teacher. Hmm. I could have hmm. melted. And so I stopped my business. I said, well, why do you love your teacher? She said, because my teacher gives me second chances. Mm -hmm. My teacher Mm -hmm. helps me. I could have melted. Why isn't this every child's story? My teacher loves me. My teacher gives me second chances. That just melted. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. You know, so um, this past year, and even this year, we, we've been doing what we call peace walks. And I remember doing a peace walk in the Asian community. So mm-hmm. we did one with the Hispanic and Latino community that's mostly, mostly on the south side of Oklahoma City. Uh, we did uh, one with the Asian community in the Asian district. We did one for the police. Mm-hmm. And we did it right in the middle of Oklahoma. And it was so fun see, listening to some of some of those who are like, hey, we want to make a difference. But a lot of times people do, are like, how do I make a difference today? Because it seems like, how do I translate the marches and Dr. King's method into what we do today? Well, the Peace Walks were one of the ways that we did it. Yeah. But what I appreciated so much were the stories. Yeah. It, it was yeah. still oh. getting back to the point where it was like, let's do this walk. Let's have this community lead us, share who they are, share the great stories of what their communities are doing in their own spaces. Um, how are they contributing to this beautiful uh, American story? Because I, I enjoy saying, hey, what are we eating tonight? And you, got, you can go to Italy, you can go to Africa, you can go to all these different spaces. Um, but John Mark, you know, you you have studied this. You've studied King's philosophy. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think about just the peace walks? Because uh, we're going to just uh, take this time. We're going to jump into our next episode in just a second. But I uh, just kind of want to land the plane. King writes the letter. King's marching in the streets. The children are marching in the streets, too. But we've also had the privilege of seeing some of these things ourselves. How do you translate those, the narratives between 60 years. Yeah. Well, as we're going to get more into the meat of this letter next time, one of the things that I think becomes very apparent is that though Dr. King is writing from a place of great personal pain, and though he's writing, representing a community that's facing tremendous pain, right from the beginning of the letter, his tone is one of respect and of invitation. He's inviting people in. And he would talk so impor- so often about loving your enemies. Doesn't mean you have to like what they're doing. We need to name the problems. We yep. need to talk yeah. about them. But he said, our goal is never to humiliate our, en- our enemy. Our goal is to make them a friend. Yeah. It's Great. to invite them in. So he began saying to his, those who were criticizing him, I think you're people of genuine goodwill. Great. I think that um, we have a lot in common. He's, he's looking for that common ground and inviting in. So with these peace walks that we've been doing locally, that's what we've been trying to do in a polarized society, in a tribalistic society, yeah. 
we let that we had a lot of Vietnamese people speaking in our Asian community peace walk, telling their stories with a lot of pain, but they were doing it in a way that was inviting their hearers. And we want to to be our friends. We want to know you. Same thing when we went to East Oklahoma City and a lot of leaders from the black community sharing stories of pain, pain and ongoing challenges, but saying, hey, come on a journey with us. Yep. You're our friend. We want to be reconciled together. And even honoring um, everybody's legacy. I'll just say this. Maybe this would be a place to land the plane as you're talking about. So as a parent, a white man with a white wife <laughs> raising mm -hmm. ki kids that look like us, that's got its own set of challenges in how we educate in this history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I have the advantage of living in a very diverse community. And so when, when we read these stories, we can say, how would it make you feel if your friend so-and-so couldn't go to the same school as you? Yep. Couldn't raise, ride in the same part of the car. Um, but then also we're, we're going to highlight and celebrate some of those courageous white people that didn't go with yeah, that's right. the direction that so many other people were doing. And my kids, as they're growing up, man, they're getting excited about it. Yeah. And they've got heroes that look like them, but heroes that don't look like them yeah. who are different and saying, hey, um, I want to be today a part of the healing movement yep. to, to bring love and compassion and justice and unity to to my community today. So Dr. Yeah. King's still the role model That's today right. for how we do that. Right. Y'all, thank you for joining us on our first episode of Dream Together. And mm -hmm. John Mark, you set this up uh, so well just to land this plane. What is the dream? Mm. You know, what are we reaching for in these conversations? Uh, the purity of how Dr. King kept the dream without saying, hey, we want a day of vengeance. No, he yeah. said, we want to be brothers. We want to be in a space where we're healthy neighbors. We want to be in a space where we value one another. And then we teach our children the same thing. So we hope that the parents and the young people who are watching this, that we can grab more language to be able to build this future. So even if you're in pain right now and you feel like, hey, well, I think we shouldn't be talking about anything that has to do with race. Are you saying we're not talking about it enough, get more aggressive, call some people some names? Just wait for a minute. What we're sharing with you, it works. Mm -hmm. We already have a multi-ethnic community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have already torn these walls down and we're already seeing lots of dynamic progress. So we're not just throwing some ideas out at you. We're sharing, we want to share some things that work. We want you to share the same things Absolutely. and hopefully you can start some conversations where, where you're at. Let's dream together. We'll see you next time.